0: Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. I'm here to have conversations. Real, honest, authentic conversations. The kind we aren't supposed to have anymore. I interview anyone I find interesting, from left to right to everywhere in between. I work independently in order to have the freedom to say what I believe and speak to whoever I want. But... With independence comes a lot of work and very little security. I rely entirely on donors and patrons, so individuals, to support my work, so I can continue to do what I do. I keep my podcast advertisement free. I'm not funded by any institutions, companies, charities, or wealthy investors. This is all me and you, the listener please consider becoming a subscriber on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Megan Murphy. On Substack, .substack meganmurphy.substack.com, or directly on anchor.fm by clicking the support button on the Same Drugs podcast page. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm. Today on the show, I'm speaking with John Carpe, the founder and president of the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with me today, John. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the work that the Justice Center does. And I'm, I'm, always, I'm always happy to speak with you and your team about various things that are happening over in Canada.
1: I'm very honored to be on your show. And uh, it's my pleasure.
0: Um. So, I want to talk to you about a number of things surrounding issues like free speech, free expression, constitutional rights in Canada. I was pretty surprised to see um, Justin Trudeau's response to the recent, really, you know, horrific attack on on author Salman Rushdie. Um. He tweeted, I'm, I imagine you probably saw this, but he said it was a strike on the freedom of expression that our world relies on and went on to say no one should be threatened or harmed on the basis of what they have written. But I'm curious to know what your reaction was to that statement.
1: I mean, this, this is a man who sent in uh, police on horses to trample on elderly women to crush a peaceful protest because he didn't like the message. And the reason I feel confident in saying that it's because he didn't like the message is that we have seen uh, other protests in Canada where the Prime Minister's response was completely different because he was sympathetic to the cause. So in in February and March of 2020, we had people blockading railway lines uh, in the name of uh, protecting the environment and fighting for Aboriginal rights. And the prime minister was, oh yeah, he wanted to sit down and talk with these people, uh, even though to blockade a railway line is is obviously illegal behavior, um, arguably criminal behavior. And this is a breakdown in the rule of law. The only thing the government should care about when it comes to protests is that that the, the manner of protest is peaceful and that there's no obstruction, there's no blockading, Um but the cause should be irrelevant so as long as the protesters are peaceful they're not preventing people from going about their business you know they're not blocking access to stores or or railway lines or international borders as long as the protest is peaceful the government should not care whether it's you know pro uh pro environment pro aboriginal uh you know something about climate change something about abortion it doesn't matter what the cause is But what we have in Canada is a government which demonstrably, if it feels sympathetic to the cause that you're protesting for, they will condone illegal behavior. And if they don't like the cause that you're voting for, they will crack down on you very ruthlessly. And uh, this is not a government that wants you to have the full freedom to say whatever you want without consequences.
0: Mm -hmm. I was really upset and concerned about Trudeau and the liberal government's response to the, the checkers convoy. Um, Do you have an impression of what Canadians at large felt about that? You know, do you think that his response has hurt him politically or not really? It
1: would need extensive, uh, you know, polling and surveys and focus groups I think the public opinion a three-way split uh, and I don't know how you know if that's uh 20 40 40 or 33 33 34 but I think you have a I think you have people that were very sympathetic to the truckers and viewed them as 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 liberators and bearers of truth and light and drawing attention to injustice and you know, changing, moving the needle, changing public opinion. You have others who have a visceral hatred of the truckers. Uh, I haven't met these people personally, but secondhand, thirdhand, like I've, I've heard like some people, they, they're just hate with a passion, you know, like the death penalty is too good for them. Um, and then you probably have the, the largest group would be those in the middle who have mixed feelings about the truckers. Um, I can't say uh, I I suspect that that the harsh crackdown of of um, uh, of the federal government would be popular or unpopular, depending on whether people liked or disliked the truckers.
0: Hmm. Just uh, Justin Trudeau has been promising to address hate and and specifically online hate in Canada for some time now. Um, He's proposed a number of bills uh, to this end, um, one of which was uh, Bill C36, I believe. Um, I haven't heard much about that bill lately. This is, again, a bill to tackle online hate. Do you know what's happening with those efforts and that, that proposed legislation?
1: I have looked at prior versions from uh, from pre-election. A lot of those bills have been brought back. Um, without getting into the nitty-gritty of the legislation, I can see that the the whole idea uh, of cracking down on hate speech sounds wonderful. It's the type of thing that your average person would go, "Yeah, hate speech is really bad. We should crack down on it." And yeah, you, you should be able allowed to you should be allowed to say whatever you want. You know, as, as long as it's not hateful and the the challenge is the the big question is okay if you uh if you crack down on hate speech who gets to decide what speech is hateful or not and on what basis and there's the there's a the problem because you and I and anybody you know listening to this watching this we would all have our personal subjective feelings about what is hateful or not hateful uh you take something like the uh Israel-Palestine conflict, and where um, you know, some people say, well, Israel is an apartheid state, right? Comparing it to the racial segregation that was in place in South Africa from from the the late '40s up until the early 1990s. Now, some people would say that's just an opinion, and other people would say, oh no, that's that's hateful to compare Israel to South Africa under apartheid. Mm-hmm. These are subjective feelings, you, you could think something's hateful or not. So the scary thing about trying to crack down on hate speech is that it's it's very subjective, uh, because hate is in the uh, it, it's like, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And you know, hate is is in the the ears and the eyes of, of the listener. So when you ban hate speech, what you're doing is you're empowering politicians and bureaucrats. You're giving away your own freedom as a citizen to decide for yourself what is true or false, hateful or not hateful. You're giving up some of that freedom. you're handing it over to the government to decide on your behalf that certain things are quote hateful and that you should not be allowed to hear them that's That's the big problem
0: mm-hmm. I mean, and as I understand it i've I've found this bill that Trudeau. Has proposed around addressing online hate speech. Pretty confusing, um, just in terms of imagining how it would actually function in real life. You know, like I think that it aimed to crack down on social media, specifically, you know, like YouTube and Facebook. Um, And it, it claims that it would be imposing CRTC. Uh, you know, the CRTC policies onto these platforms, but I mean, how, how would that actually play out in real life? Do you have any idea?
1: Yeah. So the, the bill that expands the power of the CRTC, it, 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 not sure if I would describe it as, you know, banning online hate speech, but currently the, the CRTC, uh, the, the scope is, is limited to public broadcasters. But after this bill is passed, um, commentators that know far more about the internet and CRTC regulations uh, have said that expands the power of the CRTC so that it could apply to safer this podcast. If the CRTC decided that you were a broadcaster, then they would have control over uh, what you say and that could be a problem because if you, uh, there, there are people who will say that uh, trans exclusionary radical feminists, so like a, a feminist who believes that women and girls are entitled to a safe space for their bathrooms and change rooms, there are people who feel that that is hateful. So you could have the government saying, well, you're a broadcaster. And if, if that's a viewpoint that you're espousing, that's hate speech. And then there could be consequences or penalties under the CRTC regulations. So, you know, and I think that's a really good example of something that, that somebody could feel that, you know, your speech is hateful and you would say, well, actually, no, I have no hate in my heart. I'm trying sincerely to express my opinion about what I think is good or bad or right or wrong or just or unjust. I'm just trying to express my opinion. I don't hate anybody, but somebody else says, well, your speech is hateful. And so that, that, that's the danger. Uh, because it's a very attractive slogan. I could see a lot of Canadians, uh, you know, nodding. If you say, oh, yeah, we want to ban hate speech, on the surface, it sounds really good.
0: Yeah, and it's difficult to say that you don't want to ban hate speech, because you end up appearing as though you're in favor of hate speech. And of course, you know, it's not like I love hate speech, but as you point out, I mean, hate speech is in the eye of the be- beholder. So I might interpret something as hateful that someone else wouldn't. And lots of people claim that things that I say are hateful, and I don't believe those things to be hateful. And who decides?
1: Who decides? So, I mean, you know, in a public relations battle, it, it might be better, you know, for, for free speech advocates to, to you, you don't necessarily say uh, we we oppose banning hate speech, but it, it's a, we, we believe that every individual should be able to listen for herself, decide for himself what is hateful or not hateful, and not hand that power over to uh, a human rights tribunal or some other bureaucrat, some arm of government, some politician, to decide on behalf of everybody uh, what can and cannot be said.
0: So. Right. I the, the Canadian government has partnered um, with a group called the Canadian Anti-Hate Network um, to create a comprehensive anti-racism education program to help equip educators, parents and communities to better identify, confront and prevent hate in the schools across Canada. Um, they've uh, given this organization or this group quite a lot of money um, to do this. I mean, the Canadian Anti-Hate Network is really weird. I don't know how familiar you are with this group.
1: I've, I've looked at I've looked at their website uh, a few times. I think I subscribed to their newsletter, and I've read a few of their newsletters, and I, I have a general sense of of where they're coming from. Uh-huh. And I support their free speech rights, by the way. <laughs> but I, I don't I don't I don't think that they should get taxpayers' fun- funding. They have a particular vision. And again, I fully respect their right to to exist, to associate, to to raise money, to spend money, to put their views out. They have a particular uh, belief system about racism. Uh, they see racism in a lot of places where other people might look and say, well, you know, we don't see racism there. It's a matter of opinion. And, you know, obviously, overall, I I, I agree entirely with the goal of fighting racism, mm-hmm. but... You know, this particular organization will uh, it's kind of a social justice warrior, uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, Uh, like they will tend to uh, see racism uh, in a lot of places where other people don't see it, which doesn't mean that they're wrong necessarily. But um, I, I don't want my tax dollars going to them or to any other group that is advocating a particular agenda, which they are.
0: Yeah. And it's not, I mean, the the government has committed a, a, something like $300,000 to this group specifically for this anti-racism program. But, you know, because like I've looked at their website several times too, because of what they advocate and what they produce and what they publish on their website, I'm like pretty mistrusting of their aims. You know, they also have published articles labeling, you know, Canadian citizens as anti-maskers because they are, you know, standing up for their constitutional rights or because they are not happy with the policies that were imposed over during the pandemic. Um, They published a a lot of articles labeling people who are critical or concerned about gender identity ideology as anti-trans or transphobic. And they're very much an activist group. So I found it a bit strange they don't I mean I found it a bit I guess I found it a bit strange that the Canadian government was actually partner, partnering with them on on anything at all and and funding them really I hadn't realized that until recently maybe it's been going on for longer than that
1: I think the news came out in uh, in early July and I heard about it at that time hmm. and uh, well there's so many examples of Government funding, I disagree with, but because this group is strident, I mean, it, it, it's one thing for government to uh, fund, uh, you know, genuine public education campaign on something. Although even there, that becomes quite problematic because uh, you, you take, for example, uh, transgenderism or the, the, the rights or the claimed rights of transgender people, uh, it, next to impossible for anyone to come up with a you know, public education program that is objective and neutral, it, it's such a lightning rod of disagreement that I think it's just unfair when you've got a strong public debate on an issue um, for the government to fund one side of it, it is not is not right. And I think the Canadian Anti-Hate Network would be an example of, of a, call them a socialist group or a left-wing group or a social justice warrior group or a progressive group um, and again, fully support their right to exist and, and to, to spread their message. They would have a different take on, you know, what causes racism and what is the cure for racism than, say, somebody who subscribes to a classical liberal ideology or libertarian view or, or a conservative ideology. And because those groups would also be anti-racist, but they would say, okay, but it needs to be dealt with in a very different way. We don't need a lot of state involvement to, uh, you know, push quotas and make sure that every corporate board has got a certain number of, you know, racialized minorities represented on the board. Uh, So there's different opinions as to how to solve racism. And I don't think it's appropriate for government to, to dive in and fund Uh, the perspective that probably that the current prime minister happens to favor.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, I don't know how well this group's views represent Canadians' views as a whole. Um, And I'm very doubtful that the Canadian government really looked into that before deciding to partner with this group. Um, I wonder why, why do you think that the liberal government and Justin Trudeau is so concerned with hate and hate speech. Do you think that there is a genuine motivation there or do you think that there's something else going on? You know, do you think that Justin Trudeau is genuinely, truly worried about hate and that hate, so-called hate speech will manifest in something terrible or or violent or dangerous?
1: My starting point is, is whenever I'm you know, thinking about what other people are saying and writing, my, my starting point is that I assume that they have good intentions. I assume that they're not setting out to deceive. I think different Canadians have different beliefs about racism. And some Canadians think it is uh, all pervasive, that it's that the number one problem in Canada today, or, you know, one of the top three problems in Canada today, uh, other Canadians would say it is a significant problem, but it's, it's not, it's not a 10th as bad as it used to be in in the 1950s. Um, uh, some Canadians would argue that you could be way more disadvantaged or advantaged based on your upbringing uh, if you grew up in a home with loving parents who are caring and nurturing, uh, then regardless of your race, you're going to have a far better chance of success in life, including more money and a better marriage and, and um, you know, better chance of post-secondary education than somebody who, regardless of race, is subjected to a lot of uh, abuse. Uh, you know, if you're sexually abused and you have two alcoholic parents or or one alcoholic parent and you have a horrible home life, even if you're, let's say, white and male, you are going to be disadvantaged because of that. So some Canadians would say, look, racism is an issue, but really, uh, if you want to look at advantage or disadvantage, uh, looking at what, what the kind of home that somebody grew up in is going to have a far more powerful influence on how well they do in life than what their skin color might be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So my guess, it, it, all of that background, to, to answer your question, my, my guess is that uh Prime Minister Trudeau is is probably in with the Canadians who believe that racism is, uh, you know, number one, number two, number three problem in Canada, that it's top of the list that, you know, we've got all these evil white supremacists running rampant, uh, being racist all the time. And again, he's, he's entitled to that perspective. There are Canadians that see life that way. And my guess is that the public, policies that that we're seeing uh are are perhaps stemming in part from that viewpoint uh if you believe that racism is is the number one problem in Canada today then it, it's logical that the government's policies would flow from that assumption
0: yeah i i mean I want to talk to you about the arrive can app um i The ArriveCan app was introduced, as you know, during the pandemic, um, purportedly to track, I mean, to, to, to ensure that, I suppose, people coming into Canada have been vaccinated and then also to track COVID cases, I believe, to make sure that you've been tested and that you haven't tested positive for COVID when entering the country. I wonder, first of all, what you think about that. What do you think about the introduction of an app um, to track the, the, you know, the health in quotations of, of Canadians um, as supposedly a measure as a healthcare measure?
1: I think it's terrifying that the government would force us to use a particular technology uh, I think let, let's assume for argument's sake, just for this segment of the podcast, let's let's assume that COVID is an unusually deadly killer, and it's 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 you know the worst thing since the Spanish flu of 1918. And let's assume that getting vaccinated actually uh, eliminates or reduces the chances of of uh, of transmission. And let's assume that the government is is justified in carefully watching. Uh, Canadians who've not been injected with the COVID vaccine, as opposed to those who have received the COVID vaccine. So let's assume that all of that government policy is valid. Okay. Now, if all of that's valid to me, it doesn't explain why somebody cannot show up with a, uh, say a paper copy that, that you can hold up your paper and say, look, here's, here's, uh, you know, here, here's, here's the paper that, that shows that I I've had two COVID shots, and when government says, no, that's not good enough, you have to use this particular application, uh, I find that creepy. Uh, it, you know, it, it's going way too far. I mean, it's one thing for the government to demand to see your passport. Uh, you could argue that passports are technically a, vi- a, a small violation of your right to uh, enter Canada, leave Canada, remain in Canada, which is the mobility rights in in Charter Section 6, uh, which also includes the right to travel freely within Canada, you know, passport is probably technically a small violation of that right, but I think it's a justified violation insofar as the government would need to be able to know who are the Canadians who are entitled to come into Canada and stay here versus who are not Canadians and maybe they need a visa or maybe they, you know, whatever. So it's one thing to ask for a passport. Uh, it's another thing to ask for uh, proof of vaccination. But now when you you have to use this computer app, it makes me wonder, are, are we as a government trying to condition us into thinking that we, that it's okay for us to be required to have a phone with us at all times, mm-hmm. which you certainly need in China. They have a, uh, it's called social credit, like the, uh, not not the political party that used to govern BC and Alberta, uh, but social credit where you get positive credits if you say nice things about the government and if you're well behaved and you don't, you can have a tidy backyard and you don't let her, and, uh, you know, and, and and negative credits, if you criticize the government on uh, social media, or if you're caught jaywalking, or, uh, you know, if you're caught speeding, you have negative social credits. So you, you have the government in China that monitors the behaviors, total surveillance of almost everybody all the time. And you get rewarded for good behavior, punished for bad behavior. That is what I see Canada as moving towards. We're not there yet. Um, so the Arrive Canada app, it makes me think of China with their social credit system, where in China, you, you cannot just get around without your phone. You need your phone to get on a, a subway or a train or a taxi, get into a shopping mall. And I don't want to live in a country where I must carry my phone with me, where it's no longer a choice.
0: No, of course not. I mean, there's all sorts of issues with that, including the fact that, like, I mean, you shouldn't be required to own a phone to exist and operate in society. I mean, uh, there's already been issues with the Arrive Can app around elderly people who, you know, are not who've not grown up in this new world where everything is online and you do so many things via your app and you rely so heavily on your phone And they've been detained at the airport when they arrive in Canada.
1: Um, The Justice Centre has just launched a court action uh, August the 24th. And uh, we're going to challenge the constitutionality of of the Arrive Can app because it's such a you know, the, the basic constitutional principle is that, that the government can violate our various rights and freedoms, our freedom of religion, conscience expression, association, peaceful assembly, our right to bodily autonomy, uh, you know, our, our privacy rights to the extent that they are protected by, by the charter, which they are to, to, to some point. All these rights can be violated if the government has a sufficiently pressing reason. And here, it'll be interesting to see what, what is the government going to say in court now that the federal government has been sued over the mandatory use of the Arrive Can app? What are they going to say? I mean, if they, if they try to argue, you know, well, it's to stop the spread of the virus. Uh, it's So, you know, p- make people show proof of vaccination at the border. Again, presupposing that that the vaccine... Uh, actually helps reduce the spread, which I think is not backed up by science but but even if that's backed up by science, the government could say, You got to show your vaccination papers when you get back into Canada. okay, but why does it have to be the arrive can app uh, that's that's they're going to have to explain that to the court
0: I mean, I just how can it possibly be legal to reply, r- require people to carry a phone and have an app installed in their phone to get into their own country?
1: Well, all the more crucial for us to to win this case, and fortunate other parties as well are bringing challenge uh, in court, and I anticipate that that those actions will be consolidated together, and um, it'll be like the former Newfoundland Premier Brian Peckford, the the last living signatory to the 1982 Charter, uh, his his court his court challenge against the federal government travel mandates that barred. Um, Canadians not receiving the COVID vaccine from getting onto an airplane. That action has also been consolidated with three others, and got more uh, uh, more lawyers uh, cross-examining these government witnesses, which is great.
0: Mm-hmm. What happens if somebody shows up at the border and they refuse to install this app or use this app, or you know, if they don't have a phone?
1: Many people have been fined. Sadly, I've heard amounts of seventeen thousand, five thousand, four thousand. I'm. I, I haven't looked into the, you know, uh, the range of possibilities or whether there's different fines for different subsections of of, of the order. Uh, so people have been fined large amounts, and they are amongst our clients. And of course, the way the court system works with precedent is that if we win, then the and the law is struck down by the court as an unjustified violation of our charter rights and freedoms, then that applies to everybody. So hopefully uh, the the lar- large numbers of people who have gotten the fine that might not be our clients, they're going to uh, plead not guilty and set a trial date. And if we don't have a court ruling yet by the time of the trial date, uh, you know, push it back and say, well, we're waiting on a court ruling as to whether this law is valid or not. But I, anybody listening, I would say, uh, unless you're, you know, really wealthy and, and you can just easily part with $17,000, uh, it'd be good for citizens to enter a plea of not guilty.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And now this was reported via the justice center and uh true North also. Um, and, and of course, I looked up, I looked it up on the, the government website, the government's announced that they're going to be working on a digital identity program, which is, I think, part of what some people were fearful for, you know, in terms of this Arrive Can app, that they were sort of easing Canadian citizens into some kind of digital identity program um that could of course lead to some version of a social credit system if the government was inclined to do that but for now you know it's it's they're working on a digital identity program in partnership with the world economic forum um and well first of all what do you know about this what are their plans what would this digital identity program entail
1: the my knowledge would be limited to what what the federal government has on on its website and uh, they, they sure know how to dress it up nicely. Mm-hmm. They talk, they talk about the security, uh, which I think is a loaded term because, you know, if I talk to you about wanting to protect your security, I'm telling you, you know, watch out for those other bad people because I want to protect your security. And here the government is kind of suggesting, well, that, you know, you and I need to worry about identity theft. We don't want some criminal, to you know, get access to our bank account, which is well, well and good. Of course, we we don't want, uh, we don't want to be robbed or cheated by by criminals. But it's kind of a camouflage because it, it, the government itself is as much of or or more of a threat. Uh, we saw a few months ago that uh, hundreds of Canadians had suddenly had their bank accounts frozen, without any court oversight, uh, without any notice, without any opportunity to object without any opportunity to defend themselves against the decision, just because the prime minister didn't like the peaceful truckers convoy in Ottawa. And there was hundreds of Canadians suddenly had their bank accounts frozen and their credit cards and their insurance was suspended. And it's like, you know, some of these people have had some cash stashed away under a mattress, but most people they're doing most of their purchases by Debit and and credit right a lot of we're largely cashless so um when government talks about convenience and security um it 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 can be deceptive certainly it's convenient right if i don't have to have uh like many people you know you've got a half inch of 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 all kinds of cards that are in your you know your, your debit and one or two or more credit cards and you've got your your um maybe an AMA discount, AMA card for discounts and a driver's license and on and on and on. And yeah, it would be convenient to just be able to ha- flash my telephone only, but it's pretty scary when, when government has the data, it has power over you, right? If the government knows where I, where where I go, where I am, where I move and and who I hang out with and what I buy and what what my, you know, views are as expressed on on, on Facebook, uh, or or Twitter or something, it's the centralization of data that is the the scariest thing.
0: And I mean, is that potentially what could happen if there is if they they instill a digital identity program? What could the government track? You know, legally. Can they track where you are moving, what you're saying, what you're texting, what you're doing online, what you're buying?
1: Technically, no. But as an example, what the government can do, um, go back 11 months to September of 2021. All Canadians in every province are suddenly thrust into a situation where you must disclose Personal, private, confidential medical information to a total stranger simply to go into a restaurant, or you know, go to a movie theater, go to the gym, uh, play sports, be in some you know recreational basketball, volleyball league, uh, you know, play soccer, uh, and and not long thereafter, you know, get onto an airplane or a train, and even for people that got injected with the COVID uh, vaccine their rights were also violated by virtue of having to tell a total stranger you have to provide personal private medical information to a total stranger in order to lead a normal life. Mm-hmm. So we, th- we've already seen that. And that was after the vaccine manufacturers had said publicly, this vaccine does not stop the spread of the virus. It offers you personal protection. So if you get, if you get the COVID shot, you will be less sick than what you would have been without the COVID shot. So it gives you personal protection. That's the only promise that was made. Had nothing to do with stopping the spread. In spite of that total lack of science, the government still said, got to have your vaccine passport and otherwise you can't lead a normal life. So I shudder to think, Uh, the other thing we saw in December of 2020, could have been December of 2021, they're getting all mixed up now, but uh, police in Quebec could get a, a telewarrant to go into your home. I mean, this is outrageous. We've got centuries of common law protections for the the privacy and, and the property of citizens. So up until lockdowns two and a half years ago, if police wanted to go into your house, they would have to gather the evidence. They would have to have somebody swear an affidavit. Uh, saying here's the reasons why um, we should be allowed to go into Megan Murphy's home or John Carpe's home or somebody else's home. You know, we have on good authority that, that he or she, you know, is, I don't know, whatever dealing in drugs or something with child pornography, or maybe they've kidnapped somebody that they're confining in their basement or God forbid something awful, but they would have to go before a judge and say, here's our grounds as to why we want, you know, special permission to bust into somebody's house And so they had to apply for a warrant and you could be cross-examined on that affidavits. And if you lie on an affidavit, that's filed with the court, you know, you could be found to be in contempt of court. You could spend time in jail. Okay. So the stakes were very high. It was very serious. And so far and few in between you would get, um, in exceptional circumstances, police would obtain the right to go into somebody's house without that person's permission. And here under lockdowns in Quebec, the government, it was like, it was a a telewarrant. And so police officer could just hear a complaint that at uh, 346 uh, Boisvert Avenue, uh, somebody was maybe having their mother over for Christmas dinner. And they could just like phone in and get an instant warrant just like that without needing to swear an affidavit. And they could bust into that home without warning and enter the home and say, Oh, you know, Oh, your, your mother's here. Uh, You're going to get a, you know, $1,000 fine or, well, Oh, your mother's not here. Okay. Sorry. Have a nice evening. Like total breakdown in respect for uh, centuries old uh, protections for citizens from state power. So because of that breakdown, so sorry, I'm, I'm uh, taking a while to get to the point. My point is if you have a breakdown in the, in the rights and freedoms and the government's respect for for rights and freedoms, if you have that breakdown there, then, this technology becomes extremely dangerous. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Conversely, if you have, if the government manifests a very high level of respect for individual rights and freedoms, for civil liberties, for then the new technology is is not much of a threat.
0: And all of this is connected to COVID. You know, on the Canadian government's website, they connect, their plans to introduce this digital ID with COVID, Um, you know, and, and of course they frame it as something that's helpful to citizens. But I mean, what do you make of that connection? I mean, it does seem like I'm wary of sounding like a conspiracy theorist, um, but it does seem like they've used COVID to take away Canadian citizens rights and to impose all of these things on Canadians that are constitutional and I think should be illegal.
1: There's a wonderful Netflix series called how to become a tyrant. And it's a, it's a six part series. It's about 30 minutes each. And they look at the regimes of um, not only Adolf Hitler and Joseph Stalin, who are kind of, the, you know, the first two bad guys that are most frequently mentioned, but uh, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot, uh, Idi Amin, who was a horrible dictator in Uganda in the 1970s. They look at uh, Muammar Gaddafi, a uh, long-term dictator in Libya. They look at uh, Saddam Hussein in Iraq, and they look at, you know, Mussolini in Italy and uh and so on. It's a great series, uh, six, one half hour episodes, uh, on Netflix, how to become a tyrant. So they go through the tyrants playbook. And one of the, one thing I I'm a student of history. I, my degree is in political science, not history, but, but informally I, I love, I love to study history. And, uh, so I do in my spare time, I, I read history books Whenever rights and freedoms are taken away by government, they always provide what sounds like a good reason. Mm-hmm. So this could be uh, long list. Uh, we got to protect you from those nasty capitalists who are exploiting you, who are cheating the worker. We got to protect you from capitalism. Therefore, we're taking away all your rights and freedoms. Hitler said, "We got to protect you from those nasty communists. The communists are totally evil. That they, they, you know, they don't respect." religion or free speech or anything else and and they confiscate your property i'm going to protect you from the communists in order to protect you from the communists i'm going to take away all your rights and freedoms um we've had uh, steps backwards on privacy rights after the uh 9-11 terrorist attacks on september the 11th uh 20 uh 2001 um why are we taking why are we uh violating your rights and freedoms it's to fight terrorism Uh, so it's always, it's the capitalists, it's the communists, it's the terrorists, it's the Jews, it's some group, uh, for Idi Amin in Uganda, he wanted to protect the country from this evil, uh, minority of Asians, uh, 1% of Uganda was East Indian and they were quite prosperous and they ran most of the businesses in the country and Idi Amin said, well, they're cheating Africans and they're rich because they're ripping people off. He expelled all the, uh, ordered all the East Indians out of Uganda uh, which I guess in in a historical context is at least that's better than a a genocide but you know there's always an enemy so now the enemy is COVID and so we're going to take away your rights and freedoms we're going to violate your privacy rights we got to protect you from COVID therefore the government needs to know where you are at all times, so we can help you by, um, you know, if you've tested uh, positive and somebody else has tested positive and then, you know, because we know where you've been uh, every hour of the day for the past week, uh, we can tell you if you've been exposed to somebody else. And in China, in fact, there's a, a mandatory national health app that I don't know if it's like every person in China that's required to use it or everybody that owns a phone. I don't know the details, but it, it's, uh, it's mandatory, at least for some people. You get a COVID code, red is you're uh, your infectious, yellow is you might be, and green is you're okay to travel about. And so uh, government tracks everybody. And although, you know, it's there, there have been cases where p- people uh, on Facebook said they were going to gather together for a peaceful protest, all of a sudden, all those people... Uh, they, their phone told, oh, you're red, you're infected with COVID. Now you can't get on a, a bus or a train in order to, to travel to the protest. Uh, you know, or people who criticize the government online suddenly find, oh, red for COVID, you, uh, police are going to come and force you into quarantine. Now people say, well, that would never happen in Canada. And I say, well, I I, I really hope you're right. But looking at, you know, the freezing of bank accounts, looking at the vaccine passport system that was imposed on us 11 months ago, uh, looking at the surveillance government uh, has admitted that in early 2020, uh, they they were tracking the locations of millions of Canadians. Our federal government, two and a half years ago. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think that you're right. I think it's true. I think it's true that a lot of people won't see this as problematic for two reasons. Part one is that so many of us are accustomed to using apps for everything, for banking, you know, to get an Uber, to order food, to track our health, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to fly, to book flights. Um And so a lot of people will be like, it's just another app, no big deal. Stop being paranoid. And further, I think a lot of people trust the government not to be engaging in something nefarious. They trust the government to be doing good and to be, you know, actually trying to protect citizens from whatever they're saying they're trying to protect citizens from. Um, you know, there's there are some people who are going to be inherently concerned about the government forcing us to use an app to get into the country or about the introduction of a digital identity program. Some people will know their history and know that this is is potentially dangerous. Um, I mean, what would you say to somebody who says about the Arrive Can app, you know, it's just an app. I use an app to get on the plane to, you know, show my boarding pass. What's the difference? I put my passport info in there. Why does this matter?
1: It's a good question. Uh, There's a big difference between a voluntary arrangement that you might set up between yourself and Starbucks and you download a Starbucks app that is linked to your credit card, again, with your consent. And then, you know, Starbucks would know how many coffees you're buying and and when and, and what kind, but that's a consensual relationship with, with one company. Um, it's very different when government. See Starbucks does not exercise coercive power over you. I mean, the worst thing they could do to you is they could refuse to serve you, or they could say, say "Well, you know, you're not wearing a mask, or you're not, you're not vaccinated," or ah, they could even, I guess, look at your Facebook page and say, "We don't like your political opinions, so we refuse to serve you." Okay, that's about the worst that Starbucks can do to you. Government can can throw you in, in prison. Government can arrest you. We have peaceful protesters in Ottawa, uh, some of whom, but Tamara Leach didn't even have a truck with her in Ottawa. She was present in Ottawa as one of the informal leaders. I use the word loosely because it it was kind of, it was a very grassroots movement. It wasn't like a, you know, one organization with a, with a president and, and employees and, you know, a written mission and vision statement. It was very informal. So she's one of the leaders of a peaceful protest And she's charged criminally, criminal charges for uh, being involved in a peaceful protest. That's what the government of Canada does, Mm -hmm. Uh, freezing bank accounts without due process, without any opportunity to to say, "Uh, excuse me, uh, the the group that I donated to is not violent, is not terrorist, Uh, but the government declares that group to be bad and now I have my bank account frozen because I gave them $20. I I think, I think the short answer would be people need to educate themselves about the danger of government. The analogy I use that government's like fire. Okay. Fire can be wonderful as a campfire uh, or as a, as a fire in your fireplace uh, or maybe, you know, a bonfire that is, you know, controlled um, fireworks in the sky. But, Fire has to be kept within its proper boundaries. If it's not, it kills. Electricity is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master if electricity is not confined to its proper channels. Governments, the number of citizens murdered by their own government is higher than the number of soldiers killed in wars in the 20th century. When you add up the victims of uh, the uh, Hitler and Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot and uh, the uh, the genocide's perpetrated by the uh, Ottoman uh, Empire during world war one. If you look at the citizens killed by their own governments, that number is bigger than the number of people that died in wars uh, in, in the 20th century. So that's, you know, sure. I'm not an anarchist. I support government being there for a lot of important functions. Um, However, it's like fire or electricity. you got to keep it in its proper channels. And if, if government goes outside of its proper channels, it becomes a very deadly, very evil force.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you recommend that Canadians do um, in terms of pushing back against these kinds of measures, not just the Arrive Can app, but these um, kinds of online hate speech bills, which I mean it could potentially be pretty dangerous in terms of limiting the free speech of, of people in Canada um, in terms of the potential introduction of this kind of digital ID.
1: Talk to your MP and your MLA is a starting point. A lot of people say it's futile, but in fact, the, the truth is politicians tend to be followers, not leaders. That's a generalization. Uh, there's exceptions to that. I mean, sometimes, you know, some politicians will push for certain things that are, actually unpopular and they know that they're not po- not popular but but generally um politicians are are followers not leaders and it, it's it's always amazing that i find i talk to people who have strongly held views in favor of the free society and our fundamental charter freedoms our human rights our civil liberties the rule of law and strongly held views and and they have i said well who's your mla and they're like, well i don't know you know, or, or MPP for Ontario, Member of Provincial Parliament or Member of the Legislative Assembly. Who's your provincial representative? They don't know. They haven't contacted that person. Well, who's your federal MP? Well, I don't know. They haven't talked to that person. So that is, uh, it's a good starting point. And then the other thing is just to spread the word about uh, you know, what the um, Chinese communist uh, social credit system and how those people... Are so controlled by government, uh, and, and without any due process, without, without even being able to challenge things or suddenly, oh, you, you know, you can only walk within, within a walking distance of your own house because you can't get onto, a, a bus or a train or a plane. It, it, it's about not giving up and it's about spreading the word.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, and again, I I really can't express how much I I value the work that you all do at the Justice Center. Um, and I I hope that those watching and listening will also support that work. I'll I'll put a link down below in the show notes, of course. Um, I know you guys are all super busy. There. <laughs> There's a lot of work for you to do, so I appreciate your time.
1: Well, and thanks for yours. Thanks for having me on your show. And uh, all the best to you and keep in touch.
0: Will do. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. I'm Megan Murphy, host of The Same Drugs. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Murphy. This allows you access to special content, early access to episodes, and weekly, private live streams. Alternatively, you can support this podcast directly on Anchor.fm via the support button. I produce and host this podcast all by myself and rely entirely on individual donors to sustain my work. This is all me, and you, the listener. You can donate any amount you like from $5 a month to $20 to $100 or more or less. It all counts. Thank you so much for supporting Conversations Outside the Algorithm.